Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this November 2013 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on our ethnic heritage, and we're going to travel the world collecting great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you in your search. We'll start off at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will tell us about some new global records to help us with our ethnic research. And then, in our top tips segment, contributing editor Rick Kroom will be here to give us six steps to finding German church records from his article, it's called Going to Church, which appears in the November 2013 issue of the magazine. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to head to Norway to visit with the Chief Archivist at the National Archives of Norway's Digital Archive website. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree Magazine instructor, author, and lecturer Lisa Alzo is back on the show to give us the scoop on locating those hard-to-find ancestors from the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Czechoslovakia from her Family Tree University class called Discovering Your Czech and Slovak Roots, Strategies for Searching Over Here and Over There. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine. She's going to have some excellent resources to catapult our research into our ethnic heritage. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere, and here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger and now editor of Family Tree Magazine, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Tell us real quickly about your new role as editor. Well, um, it's really exciting. I have... um I have been managing editor for the past 10 years and recently became editor. So that'll involve a lot of things I've already been doing, but also more um, content planning and um, some more budget responsibility and that kind of thing. And then Allison Dolan is still our publisher and editorial director, and she oversees our entire genealogy community, including Family Tree University and our books and, and other products and things that we do. So you're really going to be the uh, lead on the magazine itself and what we're going to see in the future and in content. Yeah, it's really exciting. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. You know, our our theme for this episode is um, exploring your ethnic heritage, and certainly international records are key to that. And I know that you've been reporting on the Genealogy Insider blog that Family Search has been very busy lately, partnering with some of the large genealogy companies out there to bring more global records to the marketplace. Tell us more about that. Sure. Well, the first one was um, a partnership with Ancestry.com in early September, and Ancestry is making a huge investment in um, the digitization of records from the Family Search Vault. So they have all that microfilm that they're working on digitizing. Exactly. And Right, and so that one was in September, and then in October they announced a huge partnership with MyHeritage, and um, for that, MyHeritage will be giving FamilySearch access to its uh, smart matching and record matching technology, which will let FamilySearch um, match historical records on the site with family tree profiles in the family tree utility that FamilySearch has. And it'll also help match profiles in that family tree with each other. 
and then in turn MyHeritage will be able to share family search records with its members. So I'm guessing that that the goal in this is kind of one-stop shopping because it makes you wonder, well, how do you go from a free site putting these records online to then have subscription sites? But I guess I imagine if you already have your subscription to one of these um, various record sites, it's kind of nice to have the, the family search records right there. You don't have to leave the page. Right. Exactly. So all of the sites involved are saying that it just improves access for their members. So our members can get the premium content that we have and then in the same place also have access to, you know, they get the family search records, the records come to them. So that is is something that they can tell their their members that they provide. And then a couple days after that MyHeritage announcement, FamilySearch also announced a partnership with D.C. Thompson, which is um, the the new name for FindMyPass.com website is still there, but the owner's new name is now D.C. Thompson. Right. used to be Bright Solid, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to keep track of. (laughs) It really is. And there's, um, it was kind of nonspecific um, what the partnership involves in this case. They said we'll be working together on various technology projects. So Family Search Records will also launch on findmypast.com, but the other side of the announcement is kind of vague still. So I guess they're not playing favorites. <laughs> right, and that could be what's going on. <laughs> they just thought we better not leave these this other company out. Right, right. Well, the good news is, I guess... Uh, it's a, it's a great benefit to all of us who are trying to do that international research because it's those those international records that have been tucked away in the vault and certainly we can access them through microfilm, but so much quicker to be able to do it um, through digitized content online and of course more importantly that ultimately they would be searchable. Right. It's the indexing that is going to be so helpful because right now in order to find, um, say, church records for your ancestor, if they're not online and indexed, you have to know exactly where that ancestor came from, which can be hard to find. So once they're indexed and you can search for the name, you know, the challenge is going to be knowing that that's the right person. But, you know, you'll, you'll have a little bit of a head start on that. Fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to the rollout as these happen. I know it's going to be over the next couple of years. So, there's some time to wait, but uh, thank you so much for keeping us up to speed. And I'll have links to all the posts that Diane referenced from the Genealogy Insider blog in our show notes for this episode. Thanks, Diane. We'll talk to you next month. Sounds good. Religious records are key to tracing your German roots in Germany, and Rick Krum is here to guide us to our German ancestors' church records using the six steps that he outlines in his new article. It's called Going to Church. It appears in the November 2013 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And uh, welcome back, Rick. Uh, Hi, Lisa. Um, I've been doing a lot of German research over the years, and certainly uh, German church records are key, and thank goodness... They, the Germans were so good at keeping wonderful, detailed records, and um, there's lots of them out there. I thought we would just kind of run through your six steps and um, have you help us kind of get acquainted with, with all of this process and where we can find these records. I know step number one is to acquaint yourself with the German church records. What do you mean by that? I'm, I'm thinking that you should 
um, learn what records are available and um, where you can find them. Um, For instance, keep in mind that civil registration, that is government records of birth, marriages, and deaths, don't begin until 1876. So that means that before that year, you have to rely mostly on church records to find family information. And um, also, um, I point out in the article that there are a number of tools that you can take advantage of to deal with foreign language documents and um, corresponding in German. Um, For instance, the FamilySearch Wiki has a German word list that's really handy. Also, you can use tools like Google Translate, online translators, and if you use the Google Chrome browser, it will even automatically translate foreign language websites as you visit them. So um, for the first step, um, you need to um, get a feeling for what church records are available in Germany and the tools you might use to um, decipher um, German records and communicate with people in Germany in German. Yeah, those time frames are so key. Um, we don't want to be looking for something that just didn't exist at that time frame. So um, luckily, the German records go back, the church records quite a bit. And, you know, it's interesting, I found I certainly don't speak German at all, but you quickly become familiar with those key terms and how they look in German so that you can kind of make your way through the registers. It's not bad. Now, I know you said number two in the article is to identify your immigrant ancestors' parish. And, of course, to do that, we kind of have to know the village, don't we? How does that work? Right. You um, need to um, find out the town where your ancestor was born, probably, or at least lived before he or she emigrated from Germany. And probably the number one source for finding that information um, is American church records that served German families. They often name their members' hometowns in Germany, and I've found that to be true in my own research. But also, if you have, let's say, um, especially if you have an uncommon last name, um, you might use websites like FamilySearch, Ancestry.com, and MyHeritage.com to see uh, where people with that last name lived in Germany. Maybe they're all concentrated in a certain village or area. That was the case in um, some family lines I'm researching. And you can even use modern tools like online German phone books and Facebook to see if you can find people with a with a rare surname and where they now live in Germany. They people um, with that name could be living in the same place where um, their family has lived for hundreds of years. Right. You could actually see where the name kind of clusters on the map. Right. Um, and I think you know this article is perfect because you really take us down the path of least resistance. And what I mean by that is there's no point in going for the hardest thing first when there are smoother paths to take. And and number three takes us into, before we hit the road, checking online. Um, are there church records online? Talk about some of the resources for that. Yeah, not many German church records are online yet, but it's a good idea to check to see if the ones you need are online. Um, For instance, the free website FamilySearch.org has transcriptions of a 
quite a few records. Also, there's a large um, um, online database of records from Baden-Württemberg. That happens to cover the parish where one of my immigrant ancestors came from in 1786, but the online records start after he was born there, so they don't um, cover the time period that I need. But still, oh, it's right. worth checking those online records first, just in case you get lucky. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that step number four is going to be to to get to the offline records, which are renting Family Search microfilm, and that uh, I still used the online Family Search um, Family History catalog to identify which records they had in the vault. And as we know, the good news is is that they're digitizing the vault. So perhaps eventually they'll be online, but if we can't wait, we can rent them, can't we? Right. Um, you can use the catalog you mentioned, the Family Search catalog, to determine the microfilm number that has the records from the parish you need. And it costs $7.50 to borrow a microfilm it's sent to a family search center. Um, there's probably one near you. There are thousands of them around the world. And you mm-hmm. get to keep it for, I think it's 60 days. And so you can browse through those microfilmed records at your leisure. And so that's the next easiest way to access German church records if the ones you need are not online. Right. I have spent many, many Saturdays sitting in a family history library going through those microfilms, and and they are fascinating. Now, step number six, you mentioned writing to the German churches. And is this a situation then when we're we're not finding them online? Maybe they're not microfilmed yet. This is the next step to try to uncover where they are? Exactly. Um, the, if the records aren't online or on microfilm, then you have to write directly to the German churches. Unfortunately, most German parishes have websites with contact information, so you can find the church's website and look for an email address, or they'll usually have an email address and a link to the church's website. Um, if you don't, if you have trouble finding the um, the church's website, there are online parish directories of Lutheran and Catholic parishes, so you can use those directories to um, find the contact information for the parish. Right, and as you mentioned before, we don't have to be worried about the language barrier, because if you use something like Google Chrome and you get to a German-speaking language, it will you can translate it right there on the line, can't you? Yeah, it's really slick. It's amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. And then finally, number six, step number six, is contacting German archives. Um, How are we going to determine which archives and and where they are? Well, you'll probably start by contacting the church directly, and they may say that they've transferred their old records to an archive, and they'll refer you to which archive it is, or um, maybe an archive has microfilm copies of their records, and you need to go through the archive to get access to those records. So usually um, you, you can determine what archive has the records by contacting the church first. In the article, I do mention um, how you can uh, use archive websites to determine what church records they have also. Yeah. 
And and you even mentioned here there's a tip in the article about the fact that uh, if you can't find your ancestor's church record, it might be actually with another church. You were saying that in some areas of uh, Germany, the predominant church, whether it was Catholic or Lutheran, kept records of people of other faiths. So that's a great tip for those really hard-to-find records. That's right. I um, spent a long time trying to find a record of baptism of an immigrant ancestor who I assumed was Protestant. Those churches didn't have that record. So finally, I checked the Catholic Church archives, and as it turned out, his record of baptism was recorded in the Catholic Church. Oh, fantastic. Well, if you need help getting going on your German research and getting into those church records, this is really a wonderful and very comprehensive article. It goes in-depth on all six of the steps that we've covered, got lots of online resources, a case study uh, in researching one of Rick's ancestors that, that really gives you a great overview of how this all functions, and even showing you what the records themselves will look like. I certainly recognize these from all the research I've done over there in, you know, in Germany. Rick, this is a terrific article. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these six steps with us. Well, thanks, Lisa. It was fun. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list, which appears in the September 2013 issue of Family Tree Magazine, author David Frixell offered up some of the shining stars on the internet that offer a ray of hope, at least research hope, for those of you with Norwegian heritage. You'll be looking at the National Archives of Norway's Digital Archive. Uh, It certainly is key place to go for genealogists looking to do Norwegian research. And here to tell us more about it is Ingwa Nedrebo. And I hope I said your name correctly. You are the chief archivist at the Digital Archives. Welcome. Yes, it was very good. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And, you know, I don't have Norwegian uh, ancestors, but I do know some folks who do. And I understand from them that one of the most important tools for genealogical research in Norway are church records. Is that something that we will find there at your National Archives digital archive? Yes, you will find uh, a scanned version of the old parish registers or church books. Uh, we have uh, published every book uh, older than 1930, and uh, you can find the uh, correct uh, Place and you can find all these uh, books available uh, to look through. But also, quite a few have been uh, typed, so you can search in a database as well. Oh, so they would, they would be keyword searchable? Yes. We uh, could actually... not, not all of them, but... Uh, not all of them. But quite a few. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, your group, I know, um, there is the National Archives of Norway, uh, which is in Oslo, and um, you're a a local branch of that, is that correct? That's right. We are situated in in Bergen, and we uh, started this website in uh, 1998. But uh, at present, uh, the work is partly done in Bergen and partly done in Oslo. And what prompted you to take the leap from moving from the records that people can access in person to uh, the the great task of trying to get them digitized and onto the web? Well, we started uh, in the early 1970s. 
and uh, it was uh, in a cooperation with the University of Bergen. Uh, we were doing research on demography, and uh, to do that, we needed to make databases uh, from the censuses and from uh, the church records. And it started there, and we didn't know anything about the internet at that time, of course. <laughs> but uh, after uh, doing quite a lot of work on this, and I must admit that uh, quite a few archivists in Norway, they were laughing at us. They thought that we were wasting our time. But mm. uh, then we came into the 1980s, and we went on with the work. We could uh, make... Uh, databases go into to CDs and we could distribute them uh, to other countries and we thought that was a good idea but then in the 1990s internet came along and that provided a um, first-class opportunity of publishing uh, those old databases that's incredible the vision that you had so early on and how the internet just gave you that next vehicle to really make it all available to people around the world. Yes, I must say that the Internet uh, has been a revolution. Uh, now we can go into the Internet. I use it, of course, every day. and I can go anywhere in the world and find a lot of records. Uh, and uh, that made uh, these old crazy work that we did in the 1970s and 80s <laughs> so much more worth. Exactly. And I know, in addition to the church records... You have, of course, the census. Tell us, first of all, how often was the census uh, taken in Norway? Well, uh, the first national uh, census in Norway was taken in 1769, but uh, that was only numbers, so we have no names. The next ah. one came along in, in uh, 1801, and uh, that was uh, a big uh, census taken both in Denmark and in Norway. Norway was a part of Denmark at that time. And um, that gave us 883,000 names in Norway. Not so much, but that was all of Norway at that time. Right. And uh, we um, got the next one in 1815, but that was just numbers. And so it went on until 1865. And that was uh, with all the names, birthplaces, and occupations. That was a useful one. Then we got another one in 1875, then in 1891. 1900, 1910, 1920, and so on. And so how much of that are those records available on the Digital Archive? Well, uh, in Norway, we have a law saying that we are not given uh, the opportunity of uh, publishing uh, censuses before they are oh. 100 years old. So mm -hmm. at present, we have the 1910 as the last one. Okay, so up to 1910, we can access from the website. And let's talk about the website a little bit. As a genealogist, we're, we're coming to it for the first time. And where do you suggest that we start? Well, it depends, of course, uh, what you would like to find. Uh, if yes. you have anything near a clear wishing or where in Norway you should start, you could go into uh, the parish registers as long as you know something about the name and the time uh, this person was born or confirmed mm -hmm. or married or emigrated. We have also the emigration records which are very, very useful for people uh, tracing emigrants from Norway. So perhaps I would start with the emigration records if I 
were from America and trying to find a Norwegian forefather or foremother. Uh, and uh, we made that project uh, for the full in the year 2000 to celebrate the 175th anniversary of Norwegian immigration. And uh, there were approximately a million Norwegian emigrants. And as I stated earlier, there were just 883,000 Norwegians in 1801. So a very, <laughs> very high percentage of the Norwegian population went to America. Only yes. Ireland, only Ireland could, could uh, show more emigrants compared to, to the population size. So That's most incredible. Norwegians have more relatives in America than they have in Norway. Oh, fascinating. Okay, so there, there definitely is a partnership there. Yes. <laughs> now, I notice when I when I come to the website and I see the listing, as you mentioned, the um, probate records, you've got some land property tax list, the census. I see over on the right-hand side it says sign in. Is that something? Should we set up some kind of a, an account with the website to, to best interact with it? No, not really. This is free of all charges, so you can go into it and use it. But if you would like to put questions to us, then you would need to, to sign in. Uh, we would need to have your email address to be sure that uh, you, you are not a fake person. Uh, right. So, so that was, that's uh, the reason we are, we are asking people to, to uh, register. Ah, makes sense. And and what a wealth of information you certainly would have for any of us doing re Norwegian research. This is really an incredible um, resource on the web. And what what do you see in the future for the digital archives? What are you working on next? Well, we have been occupied in getting a new uh, set of of uh, systems for the digital archives. Uh, we should have completed that work a few years ago, but it still goes on. So when we come up to the 1st of January next year, I hope that we have these new uh, programs available. And that will give us the opportunity of taking uh, all the records over to, to new platforms. And we would like to go on with the 1920 census, which we are allowed to publish in 2020, we are uh, going to put out more real estate information. Uh, we are uh, in a project um, trying to computerize all the Norwegian parish registers from 1801 to 1814, as next year is the 200 years anniversary of the Norwegian state. Um, ah. The 17th of May, 1814, uh, it started. And our project is a demographic one. We will try to present in the Internet the total Norwegian population between 1801 and 1814. So oh, that amazing. is uh, what we are working very hard on at, at the moment. Oh, it sounds like exciting projects, certainly a website to keep our eye on, and you can certainly do that. You'll notice right from the homepage that they have uh, the ongoing news coming out of the Digital Archive from the Archives of Norway, and you can find it at arkivverket.no, and I'll have the complete link to get you directly to the English version, or you can just click English in the upper right-hand corner of the website. Ingrid, thank you so much for taking a few moments on the other side of the world to uh, chat with us here on the Family Tree Magazine and introduce us to your amazing website. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Researchers with Czech or Slovak roots often battle certain brick walls. Do surname issues, border changes, and, and language troubles sound all too familiar to you? Well, Lisa Alzo, who is a specialist in Eastern European genealogy, uh, is here today, and she's going to be talking to us about some of the tools and tricks for tracking down those hard-to-find ancestors from the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Czechoslovakia. And she covers all of this in her Family Tree University class. It's called Discovering Your Czech Roots and Slovak Roots, Strategies for Searching Over Here and over there. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, let's say somebody um, out there listening has discovered that they indeed have Czech or Slovak roots. Where in the world do they start? Well, the first thing they should always do is start at home, of course, and see if are there any papers, photographs, documents, anything that they can find with family information that might be able to to help them, uh, especially narrow down the immigrant's original name as it was in the old country and also the name of the ancestral town or village because that's really important. And if they don't have any of these things, you know, uh, laying around or they they don't possess them themselves, they should try to reach out to any living relatives and see who might have these. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to start digging, and you really need to start with your your U.S. resources to see uh, if you can get that name in that ancestral village. Yeah, and even if you go into it and you think you already know that, I mean, I think what you're talking about is so key that you take just an extra few moments and really scour. Make sure that there aren't some other notes or letters or documents sitting around, because the more you have, of course the better. And you're trying to get this, like you said, the name of the village over in the old country. Um, So we can look to documents, what immigration records and passenger lists and that type of thing. What can we expect when we finally do get across the pond? Well, it's a step-by-step process. And really, you should be exhausting all of your, you know, North American resources, you know, get any kind of document you can find. Because one thing you have to be cautious of is when you get across the pond, there's a couple of things. First of all, your name, as you know it in America, may be quite different as in in the old country, the way it's spelled or the format of the name. So for example, my grandmother, who is Elizabeth in American documents, she will be listed as Erzbet or Alzbeta in either Hungarian records or Slovak records. And so you have to know, uh, and then the spellings of names change. Also, the other, the other issue is uh, realizing that, you know, you, you may be, getting uh, records in, you won't see them in English. They'll be in different languages. So when you get to the church records or some of the other official records, uh, you're probably going to be faced with Czech or German or Slovak or Hungarian or Latin or even Mm. in some cases the Cyrillic alphabet. So you have to uh, have ways to, you know, decipher those records and, and you have to be able to uh, you know translate them and make sure you're getting the right the right records for the right people well like in the case of the name where um you thought you know you had the name here in the u.s 
but she needed to kind of um, get a jump start on what's it going to be over there. What did you do? Did you go on Google and do some searches to to see if there's an equivalent for that name? Or how did you determine that there was a different name to be looking for on the other side? You you can do Google searches. Uh, you can also, you know, there are many different, you know, books out there. You can check the library with, you know, with names. Um, also, there's a site called BehindTheName.com that gives uh, some some Hungarian and Czech and Slovak variants. And also, one of my big tips and that I talk a lot about in the course is, you know, to join uh, a genealogical society. And there is a a uh, the Czechoslovak Genealogical Society, uh, and it's cgsi.org, and you can uh, also get a lot of information from them uh, regarding names and and help from other researchers. Yeah, that's a great tip because, you know, this isn't going to be a short-term project. So being involved in that community, the one that really knows those records and that type of research, boy, that's that's a great idea. Now, you were talking about, um, gosh, you might find some of these records in the various languages. How do you deal with the translation side of things? Well, that's that's the thing. I use a lot of tools. So luckily, we do have things like, you know, Google Translate, where you can do, you know, quick and, you know, small translations. It's not perfect, but you can sometimes use it for words. Also, uh, Family Search, which is an excellent online resource, not only just for general information uh, with their wiki, you can go to the Czech Republic or Slovakia, uh, but they have word lists and letter writing guides. And if you go to the wiki page for each of those countries, you'll be able to get links to those. And that's what I used a lot. I used to get the printed copies, but now you can go online and get the PDF versions. And so, uh, you know, family search is a really great resource. Sometimes you may have to enlist the help of a, a professional translator. And I've done this for myself and that's where, Knowing uh, someone in the society, networking in the the Czechoslovak Genealogical Society, they have uh, recommendations of people that that do this type of work. So you can get a recommendation for somebody if you need to translate extensively. Wonderful. So when they come to your class and someone says, okay, I think I know this is grandma's name and here's where she was in the U.S. and I've got a couple of leads here. Walk us through um, what's kind of the outline of the course that they can expect to, to be following along with you. Well, first, you're going. We're going to go through all the different U.S. sources that you you will need to to see if you can track those those names in the names of those villages, and then we'll talk about some places to get. Record. So we'll we'll talk about using Family Search because they have uh, microfilms and they've also been bringing a lot of. Uh, records online through their their digitization project and so we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about what you can get there first and then we'll talk eventually about crossing the pond and you know reaching out to archives you know writing letters or maybe enlisting finding the help of a professional researcher that can help you go further how to contact people you know family potential family members in your ancestral village or writing to the 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 church or uh, to the mayor's office, you know, how to maybe plan a trip over there if you're interested in doing that kind of research as well. 
Wow. Comprehensive help for an area that you might be new to, and it really helps to have somebody in your corner. Um, someone like Lisa Alza, who's been there, and I know you've gone there in person several times yourself and um, had some great success. So if you'd like to have some success with your Czech or Slovak ancestry, this is the class for you. It's called Discovering Your Czech and Slovak Roots, Strategies for Searching Over Here and Over There. It's at Family Tree University, so we'll have a link for you in the show notes. And Lisa, thank you so much for all the great tips you've just started us right off the bat here on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me back, Lisa. As we wrap up this November 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, Allison, in this episode, we've been exploring our ethnic heritage, and I know that you have a wealth of resources at Shop Family Tree on this subject. Are you going to be making a uh, special value pack available to us to get us going? Well, actually, we have a variety of value packs um, available in the store right now um, for all different kinds of heritage backgrounds, um, German and Irish and UK, um, many of the most common ancestries among our audience are already available. And then, like you mentioned, we do special kit releases every month. And often, if you don't see one available now, um, keep watching because we may be releasing one um, in the near future. Oh, great. So these value packs are going to be uh, specific to the areas of international research that we're doing. Absolutely. In fact, each value pack or different kind of kit that we have um, is going to include a variety of different resources to help you with your search for your heritage overseas. We might have an independent study course from Family Tree University included in there. Um, The kits often include a book, um, some videos, instructional videos that will help you um, with different tactics and resources that will help you on your research. And it's all discounted off of the regular price, so you can get this nice collection of resources to help you um, at a pretty significant discount off of the cost of buying them separately. They really are. And, and what's great about them is, is they approach the research from all the different kinds of ways that we learn. Like you said, whether it's reading or listening or watching or whatever. And I know that one of the most popular um, types of resources people are looking for today are ebooks, you know, going digital and freeing up the space on our shelves. If you got some ebooks that might help us out in this uh, heritage, this ethnic heritage area. Absolutely. Well, there's one in particular that I wanted to highlight um, because when you're dealing with research in a foreign country, um, you know, names are such a big part of what we do um, mm-hmm. in our genealogy research. We need to be able to understand naming patterns and how names are spelled um, to be able to know what to look for when we're um, searching in records and whatnot. And so recently we brought out a series. It's a genealogist guide to ethnic names, and it's an ebook that covers pretty much the entire world, um, all of the different um, first names, naming traditions, um, naming patterns, spellings, and, and meanings of different names. So the Genealogist Guide to Ethnic Names is a compendium of covering the whole world, but then we've also got sort of slices of that broken out. So if you're really only interested in one specific area, for example, you want to look just at British names or just at Greek names or just at Native American names, you're able to get um, 
those slices in a separate ebook as well. And so, um, you know, depending on what your research needs are, there's um, a resource and ebook here that would potentially help you. Oh, terrific. Well, we can find all of those, I know, at shopfamilytree.com. And, and I'll have links in the show notes for you to the specific value collections and these uh, ethnic name ebooks that she's talking about because they really do come in handy. And, and I love going digital. It makes it life so much easier. I've actually cleaned a little room in my in my office here, you know, getting rid of some of the books and going to the digital formats. And I love that they're searchable, too. That is such a great feature, I have to say, for me, um, you know, not having to flip through the index and find out if the entry that I need is even in there, just being able yeah. to do that quick search and find exactly what I need without paging through is a real time saver. Exactly. And hey, congratulations to you that Diane has become editor of the magazine. I know that uh, you guys juggle so much there at Family Tree Magazine. And in your role as publisher, I know you cover the entire spectrum of the various services and, and um, products that you carry there at Family Tree Magazine. And wow, she's taken over the lead on the magazine. Is that going to free up a little time for you? Well, I'm hoping it'll free up a little time for me to be able to do a little bit more business development in terms of providing more products and services that will be um, useful to genealogists. And most of all, though, I'm thrilled um, to be able to promote Diane to this leadership role. She's been involved with the magazine for so long, and she does so much behind the scenes. It's really great to stand back and let her editorial expertise shine. Oh, she really does. And, and what an amazing team you guys have there. Everything from Family Tree University to the magazine to the digital products, the store, the webinars, all kinds of great stuff. I know we'll be teaming up here in the next couple of months on a new webinar at Family Tree Magazine. So lots of exciting things happening. Always fun to hear from you. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this November 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Rick Croom's article in the November 2013 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Again, it's called Going to Church. You're going to get his full six-step process for finding German church records. You can order the paper or the digital issue at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you're going to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's show. And that includes the National Archives of Norway's digital archive website. Also, Lisa Also's class on Czech and Slovak research and that ethnic value pack that Allison told us about. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my websites, genealogygems.com. And you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>